we have been, uh, actually before we get into the series, uh, I want to just kind of share a little uh, great news with you, a real praise report. Last week, we did a dollar offering, if you remember. I uh, did it across all of our campuses. We haven't done that in a while. Uh, but last week, you generously gave, wait for it, $2,424. That's amazing. And, uh, and you remember, well, the reason why we did that was that Jeff Rasmussen, who is one of our missionaries, uh, left Abundant Life Church 15 years ago. He didn't really leave. He just moved away from Abundant Life Church. We're his family. We're his covering. Uh, we believe in him and Jenny. And, uh, and uh, he'd been there for 15 years. We wanted to bless him because his, motor, his moped, that's how they get around there, uh, is kind of dying. Um, and he's had it for 14 years. And we said, well, we're going to buy you a new moped. And so this week, we sent him out to go shop for a new moped, and this is what he sent us. Look at that guy. Doesn't he look happy? Isn't that awesome? I'm like, wow, you're buying a moped, man. Does that thing like come with like, like it's like a 007 James Bond, you know? It's like, it's like, you know, guns open up and get out of my way, you know? Anyway, but look at the smile on Jeff's face. Isn't that awesome? But uh, that smile was put there by you. And uh, I just want to say a huge thank you for choosing to live generously uh, and bless Jeff halfway around the world. And uh, I think what a blessing. That's what the season's all about. Amen? So we've been in this little series uh, that, uh, that we're calling Something Better because uh, we recognize that, that while there's many wonderful things that we get to experience during this season, oftentimes we can bypass the very best thing about this season. And, and I told you uh, over the last couple of weeks that I have really one goal for this series, and that is that every single one of us would be re-enchanted with Jesus. Because so often, the world in which we live, the stresses, the pressures, the craziness of life, the ups and downs, the ebb and flow of life robs you of perspective, robs you of, man, this is who Jesus really is in my life. And oftentimes, like Ahaz, if you remember, we've been studying uh, this little passage of scripture out of the book of Isaiah. Ahaz, who was the king of Judah, he chooses, right, to try to handle life in his own strength, even though God stepped into the middle of his situation and said, I'm right here to help you. And so uh, we've been unpacking this little verse of scripture uh, and taking a look at these titles uh, that describe who Jesus is. And, and I hope that as we have gone through the first two, we'll go through one today, and we've got another one actually that we're gonna have a lot of fun with on Christmas Eve. I hope you can come and join us for that. But, but as we've been rehearsing and looking at who Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, is declaring and describing who this character Jesus is, that I hope you're being re-enchanted, that you're being reacquainted, that you're being, that's right, this is who Jesus is, and I need to put that front and center in my life. Now, Quick question for you. How many of you love going to the doctor? I had one person in the first service that said, I love to go to the doctor. Oh, we got a couple right here. That's awesome. Let's lay hands on them. Would you pray for them right now? No, no just kidding. They're doctors. That's right. <laughs> Are you really doctors? They're doctors. There you go. Okay, got it. I got it. Or else you're the son or grandson of a doctor. Oh, I see how this goes. Okay. You know, but most of us, you know, there's a few rare birds in the room, right? But there's most of us don't like going to the doctor. Uh, but my daughter in particular, the one who's taxiing that's about to take off from London right now, so this is the last story that I can tell about her without her being in the room, which means I can't really tell any stories about her, right? But anyway, I get to tell this story about her. She really, like, you might not like going to the doctor, but you've kind of reached a point where you're okay with it, and I'll do it because I have to do it. Got to do my physical once a year. Oh, there's something going on, right? She hated going to the doctor. 
Like, I'm, like, let me tell you a few stories. Like, number one, uh, I remember being in an elevator, an, uh, an elevator, escalators, the stairs, elevators, the one that goes up and down, right? I was in an elevator, and this doctor walks in with, like, the white coat on, and she must have been, I don't know, six, seven years old, you know, and she's like, gives him the stink eye, you know? It's like, don't you come near me, you know? Uh, I remember once that my wife took her to the doctor. We got her into the waiting room, and, like, we're just, it's just like a little checkup. Like, there's nothing major going on. It's just a little checkup. And, man, she bolts out of the doctor's office. She's out into the parking lot before my wife can catch up with her, you know? I mean, it kind of reached a point with her that we were like, uh, maybe there's something psychologically not right here that, like, she has a real disdain for doctors. Like, this is amazing, you know? Well, when she was about eight years old, um, we discovered that she must have been allergic to something, and, and if you've had a kid, or maybe you have had to go to a doctor, to an allergist, to kind of discover, well, what am I allergic to? Is it dust? Is it pollen? Is it, you know, Christians? Is it, I don't know. What am I allergic to, right? And when you go to the doctor's office, um, like, she hates needles especially, but this is where they will, you know, they do that thing where they stab you, like, eight times on this arm and stab you. That's probably not the right terminology, right? That sounds really awful. I took my daughter to the doctor, and he stabbed her, right? Anyway, you know what I mean. They poked her, right, with that stuff because they're trying to see what she's allergic to. Well, she knew this was coming, right? And so my wife, being the wise woman that she is, said, you're taking her. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and by the way, she's preaching out in Sandy right now, so I can lie about this story as much as I want. She won't know. We'll keep it a secret. No, I'm just kidding. But she sent me to go to the doctor, right? I've got to take Sophie, who hates going to the doctor, to an allergist, and she hates shots most of all. And not only are they going to give her a shot, they're going to do eight in this arm and eight on this arm. And I'm like, this is going to be fun. And so long story short, I end up having to take her in. We're in the waiting room, you know, take her back into uh, the, the kind of the, the procedure area or whatever where they're going to kind of examine her and kind of poke her and do all these kinds of things, you know. And the first thing I have to feel sorry for was all the other kids sitting in the waiting room because she was in this room screaming bloody murder and it was probably through two walls and you could still hear her, right? So the next thing is she sees the nurse coming towards her and she's just kicking and swinging. And so I'm like, okay, I so now it's two nurses have to come in and I'm literally wrapped around her. So I'm holding her like this, my, uh, wrap my legs around her. One of the nurses is holding her with all of her strength, holding her hand like this, while the other one comes in to do the deed. You know, my daughter hated going to the doctor, but going to the doctor isn't always a bad thing, right? Because the doctors can help us to understand what's going on. In fact, one of the, in fact, I was, <laughs> one of the tests when you go to get your physical is uh, that the doctor will do like a little reflex test and he'll, she, he, she will pull out a little hammer like this. By the way, if a doctor pulls out a hammer that doesn't look like this, be very afraid, okay? Just <laughs> FYI. Bruce would never do that. I understand that. But, but, <laughs> but you pull out this little, little during a physical, they, they pull out this little hammer. It's like a little reflex hammer, right? Because they want to test your reflexes. By the way, I was, Dave, I have to admit, while you were doing the announcements, I was testing it on myself, and I have none. Um, <clears throat> so then I was like, I should try my Apple Watch to see if I actually have a heartbeat, you know? But I'm alive. I'm okay. But one, one of the things that they do is, right, they, you know, they have you put your knee up and then they, they kind of whack your knee and, and, you know, I thought, you know, as I was doing it there, I was thinking, well, maybe I'm going to kick like this, you know, but no, it's just a little movement, right? They're trying to see if you have a reflex. And the reality is that most of, all of us actually, have a reflect, reflexive view of God. Is that a word? Reflexive? Reflexive? I just made it a word. I'm Irish. I can do that. 
But most of us have a reflexive view of God. In other words, oftentimes there's something that's going on that produces a reflex in us about how we look at or view God. And I already told you the punchline. I'm trying to get us to see God as God defines himself. But oftentimes when life gets hard, when life gets difficult, when there's pain, when there's suffering, when things are not going as we would hope that they would go, when we feel stressed and anxious or that bad report comes in or, or it's not working out the way that I want it to work out or I'm dealing with my own struggles with sin and temptation. Oftentimes in those moments, we have a reflexive view of God. There's a reflex and we, we oftentimes will, will ask ourselves or, or think about in those moments who God is and how God responds. Oftentimes, actually, the first thought that we have about God is the reflective thought about God. It oftentimes shapes our view, it, or defines our perspective on who God really is. And, and I wish that more times than not, it would be like this. God's got me. I know God loves me. I know God cares for me. But I don't know about you, it seems that more often than not, the reflective thought that I have, that kind of reaction or that response to the circumstance that I might find myself in, is I'm not sure if God can be trusted. I, I, I'm not sure if God is really good. I, I'm not sure, I mean, I'm not sure if God really cares. I mean, if God was really good and he really loved me, would this thing be happening? And oftentimes we play this kind of Christian karma version of God, you know, where if I do something, I expect it to come out this way, or why am I going through this bad thing? And that obviously reflects on who God is. Surely God would be a better God than that. But for many of us, we live with this kind of reflex, this view of God that's oftentimes defined by the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And this is exactly what was happening with Ahaz. Remember the story, we, we unpacked this a few weeks ago, that Ahaz is the king of Judah and he's between a rock and a hard place because the Assyrians are attacking, the Isra Israelites are attacking and, and he says, well, the enemy of my enemy and he's like, how do I get out of this mess? Well, I'm gonna just side with the Assyrians and he, he figures out that I'm just going to try to handle this circumstance myself. Rather than, and it's in the middle of this situation, actually, that God kind of reveals himself and says, I don't want you to be afraid, Ahaz. I don't want you, I want you to remain calm. And I want you to know that you can trust me. I have a way out of this. And you know the, the, you know the conclusion of the story, right? Which was that, no, I'm going to trust myself. Because God's not that good. I don't think God can be trusted. I'm not sure that God really cares. And so Ahaz had this reflex this reaction, this perspective on who God is. And it's in this context that the prophet Isaiah begins to unpack. He begins to tell us who God is. And not only does Isaiah the prophet tell us who God is, Jesus ends up showing up at the first Christmas to show us who he is. You see, not just the, 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 the um, people of Judah but all of humanity had a distorted perspective of who God is. And it's in this context that the prophet Isaiah tells us, Jesus shows us, and we constantly have to be reminded about who God really is. Isaiah shows us, or sorry, Isaiah tells us, Jesus shows us, but we need to be constantly reminded. 
And it's, this, it's in that context that this verse that we've been studying and unpacking that, that the prophet Isaiah says this. He says, for unto us a child is born and the son, the son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in a day and an age back in the time of Ahaz, but it's not dissimilar to where we're at, where, where they had, had a distorted perspective on who God is, God shows up through the prophet Isaiah to say, let me tell you who I am. And so he tells us, but Jesus shows us. And just like the children of uh, Judah, we need to be constant reminded of who God is. And I find it so interesting that we oftentimes, especially when we go through hard times, difficult times, times maybe when we're struggling with sin, times when we're, I just wonder if God could even like me. I wonder if God is good. Does God really love me? In those seasons when things go sideways, and it wasn't dissimilar for the, the people of Judah, for Ahaz the king, I wonder what God's like. And oftentimes we have that reaction. But God shows up to say, let me tell you who I am. And we've already looked at this idea that God is a wonderful counselor. God is a mighty God. But it's right here that this week that I want to deal with this third one, which sounds a little bit funny because it's describing this king, this child who would come during the Christmas season. His name would be Jesus. And the third title that's given to him is this idea that you will be and he will be an everlasting father. Which seems really kind of weird because if you, you know, if you, you know, if you believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you've heard that around church life. Like, I get that there's God the Father, but Jesus is the Son, so how can Jesus be an everlasting Father? Anyone else confused? It's like Darth Vader. You're not my father, <laughs> right? <laughs> God's the Father. Not what, what does all this mean? But God, God's wanting us to see and understand something about who he is through his son. And so he gives them this title, Everlasting Father. And it literally translated, literally means Father of Eternity. And what this title is trying to help us understand about Jesus and what it's revealing through Jesus is the divine, perfect covenant nature of God's affection for his children. In other words, God is a perfect father. God is one who loves you perfectly, who cares for you deeply, who understands the mess and the difficulty and the challenge that we oftentimes find ourselves in. And God is revealing himself through this prophetic word, through Jesus, as one who cares for you perfectly. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds almost too good to be true. That there could be someone that could love me perfectly. That there could be someone that doesn't just, that God doesn't just put up with me, right? But that he actually loves me intimately. And that, like I said, that almost feels and sounds too good to be true. Is God really that good? Does God really care for us that much? And I think oftentimes we, we think, man, that's too good to be true. Oftentimes because of our own guilt and shame. Like, we all struggle with sin, right? I, 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 I dealt with sin this week. Anybody else? We're in church. You can be honest. I was the only one. Oh, good. We got a few. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Whew. Pastor was the only one that was dealing with sin this week. <laughs> we all wrestle with it. 
That's going to be a wrestle that we have till the day that we die, right? And so there's this struggle with guilt and shame and, and all of these kind of things that we wrestle with. And, and in the midst of that wrestling, we kind of go, I'm not sure if God could like and love me. But it also might be because, man, some of us have not maybe had a good or perfect father. That, that there's some of us in the room that maybe, man, you've had, you've had a, a, a dad who's not been a great dad, not been a perfect dad, not been the kind of dad that he really ought to have been. And, and, and oftentimes what can, can happen is that we can take some things that happen here on earth and, and they can begin to cloud our perspective, our view of who God actually is. And, and if we're not careful, what we do is we actually reduce God to something that's here on earth. And what, what God's wanting us to see through this prophetic word in Isaiah, through the life of Jesus, is actually not for us to reduce God to something here on earth. He's wanting us to elevate our perspective of who God is. God wants to reveal himself, not just as a wonderful counselor, not just as a mighty God, but he reveals himself as an everlasting father. Someone who cares for you, who loves you, who is for you, like nobody ever has been and nobody ever will be. He's an everlasting father. Could I say it this way? He's a safe place. Isaiah tells us, but what we're going to discover is Jesus shows us. And what I know about myself and what I know about human nature is that we need uh, uh, this right perspective of God. We need to be reminded of who God truly is. And so Isaiah tells us, but Jesus shows us. And what Jesus does is Jesus puts on display God's fatherly affection and compassion. God reminds us, God reintroduces us to who God really is. And what we discover through the life of Jesus is that God is not distant, God is not disconnected, but God is present with us. God is one who cares for us intimately, who, uh, who loves us affectionately, who loves us absolutely perfectly. And so even in the middle of our mess, even in the middle of our pain, even in the middle of our chaos, God doesn't remove himself, isn't distant, but God steps into those spaces with us. I'll never forget when my son, and I've probably shared this before, but uh, my son was one year old. It was right around his first birthday and he was spiking a fever and it was just getting worse and worse and worse. It had been a few days, we're at home, we're kind of calling the doctor. Finally, we rushed him down to the doctor and she says, you gotta get him over to the ER right away and then he gets admitted and in the ICU and so he ends up in ICU for about three days and, uh, and he has a, a fever that's gonna like, it's like 102, 103, 105, 104, 103, like, and just can't get it down. And as it turns out that he had a kidney, as a one-year-old, he had kidneys the size of a 10-year-old, so he had some really severe kind of infection. But I remember as a dad being in that moment, and I'm an imperfect dad, right? But I'm in, I'm in that moment going, I would do everything I could to be in his place so that he didn't have to be there. I was just talking to a dad this week whose daughter's uh, going uh, into surgery uh, early next year, and they have to fly across the country, and, and, and just we were rehearsing this. As a dad, man, I'd do anything I could to put myself in that place so that my kid didn't have to go through that. Well, if I'm imperfect, and, and I fall so far short of my perfect heavenly father, how much more? Does God demonstrate to us that he being a perfect father wants to step into that space with us? Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Isn't that what Jesus, is, as Dave was sharing even during communion, that it's Jesus who stepped into that space, into the, into the space of 
punishment, into the space of taking upon himself the penalty and punishment for sin that we deserved. Why? That's the act of a loving heavenly father who says, I want to be in those places and spaces with you. Love, and once again, this is exactly what Isaiah is communicating. But I love this verse. It's found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And I find so often in my own life, and maybe this is true of your life too, that, that I find myself in those situations, those, those uh, circumstances in life, those relationships, those times maybe when I fail or fall short or I don't have what it takes or there's the chaos, the, the stress, the anxiety, the pain of life that comes to all of us. And oftentimes I can be in those moments and the reflex is to say, I'm just not sure that there's a God in heaven who really knows me, loves me, or cares about me. And what Isaiah was sharing with us, what Jesus is demonstrating to us is, no, you have a heavenly father who sympathizes with you. You know, I I think so often, you know, and I always think about loneliness, you know, loneliness is an epidemic in our culture. And especially around this time of the year, you know, it can be one of those, like, you know, there's all this festivities and joy, and isn't everybody going to parties? And, and yet it actually can be one of the most lonely times of the year. And it's in those moments where we go, I'm not sure if there's a God in heaven who really understands who I am, what I'm going through. And yet, didn't Jesus experience the ultimate loneliness? His disciples leave him, his friends leave him, and then he's hanging there on the cross, and he says, Father, why have you forsaken, you of all people, And Jesus experienced loneliness in the ultimate way, like to the nth degree. And yet sometimes we go, I'm not sure if God would understand. And the first thing that I want us to recognize is that we have a heavenly father who empathizes with us. When we feel isolated and alone, when the pain takes your breath away, you have a God in heaven who knows you, who understands you, who sympathizes with you. And I find it so interesting that Jesus is described as the everlasting father. There was another father in the Bible. His name's the devil, and he's the father of lies. And what the enemy is always trying to get us to do, what the enemy is always trying to get us to buy into, that reflex response is God doesn't care. God doesn't know. God doesn't, God's not involved. God doesn't love you. He's always trying to get us to believe a lie. But what the Christmas story is trying to remind us of is that you and I have an everlasting father who sympathizes with us and who steps into the middle of the mess with us. And this is exactly what Jesus reveals about God. That God is not someone who removes himself. God is not someone who is distant from you. God is someone who moves towards you. God always moves towards you. In fact, look at how Jesus demonstrated this. He said when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. What's Jesus trying to demonstrate? I'm a God who moves toward you, not away from you. And sometimes we think, well, God can't like me. There's no way God loves me. There's no way that God accepts me. And so because we believe this lie, we tend to move away from God. And one of the best pieces of parenting advice I think I was ever given uh, when, I, when my kids were growing up, they were probably pre-teens, so they're about to enter into the teenage years. Come on, parents, grandparents, you love the teenage years, right? You know, I actually did love the teenage years. They're awesome. But 
But one of the best pieces of advice that I gave is that you're, um, you know your kids are not going to be perfect. I'm like, what? My kids are not going to be perfect? Right? But, it, but he, he then said this. He said this. He said, when they stumble and fail and fall short, are they leaning towards Jesus or away from Jesus? Can I speak to parents for a minute? Maybe it's some grandparents in the room too. Maybe some spiritual parents that are just helping uh, with some other kids. Are you creating a space, a place in your relationship where even when your kids stumble and fall, even when they fail, even when they stub their toe and don't get life right, are you creating the kind of place where they can lean in to relationship as opposed to pull away from relationship? And I want to encourage you parents, you've got to create spaces and places. You've got to protect the relationships that you have with your kids because your kids are, I hate to tell you this, they're not perfect, right? They're going to fail. They're going to fall short. They're going to disrespect you. They're going to not love you some ways the way you want to be loved, right? They're not going to listen to you, but are you creating a space where they can lean in versus lean away? And I think as we create those kinds of spaces, because that's what our Heavenly Father did for us, isn't it? That through Jesus, what he did was create a space where he was leaning in so that we could lean in towards him, so that we don't have to run in fear, but we can run towards him in love and faith. And so God wants us to recognize uh, that, that he's ultimately, he's the perfect father who loves us affectionately, right? But he's re- uh, moving toward us. It's so interesting because we're, you know, we've been reading about Judah. That's kind of the backdrop, right? And you know this, you know, we've talked about the story about how, you know, they turned their back on God and so they end up becoming a vassal nation. They're like, they're enslaved to uh, the Assyrians, you know. And some 40 chapters later in the same book of Isaiah, the people of Judah or the capital city of Jerusalem record these words. It says that Jerusalem says, the people of Judah says, that the Lord has deserted us, that the Lord has forgotten us. Now, we just read Isaiah chapter 9, and what we discovered was even though it was the people of Judah that turned their back on God, it was King Ahaz who turned his back on God. God didn't turn his back on them. God says, I'm here to help you. They turned their back on God. God reveals who he is in this messianic promise. They turned their back on God. And so now they've twisted the whole thing around and say, well, it's God that deserted us. It's God that's forgotten us. And then God responds emphatically. He says this, never. I would never do that. That's pretty strong. Like never means never. Not sometimes, it means never. Even when you look at it in the Hebrew, it still means never, right? God says, I will never forsake you. And he goes on and he says this, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no uh, love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. So he's saying, look, I'm greater. My bond with you is better than anything that you could ever find here on earth. See, I have written your name on the very palms of my hand. And we know that ultimately Jesus does that on the cross, doesn't he? And so what I want us to recognize is that Jesus is the one who puts on display with every word and every emotion and every action the indestructible love that God has for you. And that's what Christmas is about. 
Christmas is this initiation. It's God stepping into human history through the life of Jesus to, say, to remind us, to reintroduce us to who God is. And God is not someone that's distant and uncaring and unloving. No, no, no. God's the ultimate lover. God is the one who steps into the middle of our mess. God moves towards us to say that I love you and I care for you despite what your circumstances might talk, tell you. God loves us perfectly. But here's what's so amazing. It's not just that God uh, is, a, is, a everla- or is, is a father who loves us perfectly. He's an everlasting father. And God's affection and his care isn't just perfect. It's never ending. It's never ending. Jenny's um, uncle and aunt, uh, <clears throat> Dick and Edie Iverson, some of you may know them, uh, originally kind of here from Portland. And uh, they were the ones that actually started... Uh, uh, Bible Temple, City Bible Church, Manor House. It's a church in town uh, that, that uh, Jenny grew up in. And, uh, and, but, but before they started uh, City Bible Church, they actually went to Ireland in the 50s and 60s. And uh, there's, we were looking at pictures, and Jenny's grandma, she's 96, and uh, she's the, the last of the kind of surviving generation, so she has this, all these pictures, and we were looking through all these pictures this last week, and there's pictures of... Uh, um, uh, wheelchairs and crutches just stacked up because they would go to Ireland, they would run these, they would do these kind of camp or evangelistic crusades, um, inviting people to come and meet an everlasting father. And, and that one of the banners that they had up, and we were trying to find a picture that had the whole banner, and we couldn't find one, so we photoshopped it because that's what you do these days. Um, but, but this is uh, Dick and Edie Iverson, and you see in the background it says Jesus Christ. Well, the banner that would be up behind them as they would preach and be doing these crusades is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And sometimes, you know, when we, you know, and by the way, that's a verse out of Hebrews 13 and verse 8. says that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. He never, ever changes. And sometimes we think it's so crazy. This is like just how human psychology works. We think that God actually changes. Like there's some days we wake up and we think, oh man, the barista got my vanilla latte just perfect. Every light on Sunnyside was green this morning as I went to the mall. And then that thing that I've been shopping for was 50% off. God loves me. Right? It's a great day. And you wake up the next morning and, and it, you, know, you take your sip of your latte and it's, it's hot so it burns your tongue, right? That lasts with you for a few days, right? You get stuck at every traffic light, you know? And, and you realize, man, I don't know if God's for me today. Don't we do that? That, man, I feel like life is going great. God is for me. God is good. God loves me. God cares about me deeply, you know? Life is hard. There's some really difficult and challenging things. I'm not sure if God loves me. But the Bible tells us that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change his view and perspective on you. God's not hot and cold on you. God loves you deeply. God is affectionate towards you. God's given. He's all in on you. In fact, God actually, not that he wakes up in the morning, right? But God starts each day with this, just this idea, man, I just love that. I just love Joel. I just love Susie. I just, and, and he knows you affectionately. He knows you deeply. He knows you like nobody else. He knows you intimately. And he doesn't change his perspective on you. 
And this verse that we've been looking at, Isaiah 9, 6, the very next verse says this, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on, God's, uh, on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. God doesn't change his perspective towards you. God loves you. God cares about you because of his faithfulness and his glory. And oftentimes we kind of have this shifting perspective of what God thinks about us. And the reason why is because life here on earth, it ups and downs, ebbs and flows. There's, there's brevity to life. But Jesus doesn't change his perspective on you. In fact, look at this little verse out of Isaiah 103. It says, our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. Uh, we bloom and die. Uh, the wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. Well, now, doesn't that just sound encouraging? Because <laughs> sometimes I read the Bible and I go, uh, I'm not sure how I should feel. But what the psalmist is wanting us to understand here is that you're in my life is but a breath. Here today, gone tomorrow, right? That, that there's some things that, man, today's a good day. Tomorrow, that well, was just a bad day. The next day, that was a good day, Right? Like our life ebbs and flows. Our life goes up and down. Our life is so, so short-lived. It's like a breath. But then he goes on and he says this. He says, but the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children. And what the psalmist is wanting us to understand is you have a temporary perspective on life. God has an eternal perspective on life. You have this life that goes up and down and ebbs and flows. God is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And specifically what he calls out is the love of the Lord toward you remains the same from day to day, year to year, decade to decade, lifetime to lifetime. God doesn't change in how he loves you and how he cares for you. Look at it, it says this in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, right? Which is what, what, what the first Christmas kind of declares, that God's come to dwell among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And so what we find is that we live in this awkward in-between where there are times that life seems to go well. There are times when life seems to go bad. But what Christmas offers us is something better, something eternal, something that's unchanging. And that is a father who loves you perfectly and loves you without end. Isaiah and he prophesies it and says, let me tell you who God is in the midst of what you think is that negative, all this enslavement and now the nation of Judah is conquered and all the rest of it. In the midst of all of that, let me tell you who God is. Jesus shows up and says, let me show you who God is. And we, like the children of Judah or the people of Judah, so oftentimes need to be reminded, this is who your God is. He's a God that moves toward you. He's a God that loves you perfectly. He's a God that knows you intimately. He's a God that likes you, wants to be with you. 
There's this story, and I'll close with this. It's found in Matthew chapter 8. And in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus and his disciples had been ministering on the other side of a lake. And, and uh, they get in a boat and they come across this lake and they get to the other side. And, and where they docked the boat was a graveyard. Seems like a strange place to kind of show up, doesn't it? Why would Jesus go to a graveyard? I mean, who wants to go to a graveyard? Like that's, like that's the forgotten place. That's not the place that you go to hang out. That's not like, why would they go to a graveyard? Well, in this graveyard, it was just outside this Gentile city, and there was a couple of guys that um, they were mentally ill, they were oppressed, and they had been kicked out of the city, and so they'd been sent to the graveyard because they're as good as dead. Who's going to deal? Who's going to be involved with those guys? And here's Jesus. He shows up to the graveyard, to this forgotten place, not a place that you go to. And he encounters two guys that have been kicked out and forgotten by society. You may know the story. Jesus heals them. He delivers them. He restores them. And there were a couple of farmers that were kind of up on a hillside watching what was taking place. And they knew the story. They knew who these guys were because they lived in the town that had kicked them out. And so they, they, they see this thing happening where, where Jesus is coming in power and compassion to heal and to deliver and to restore these two people that have been forgotten by society. And so they rush into town and they start telling everybody, all the citizens of the city, they start, descri- you know, start telling and describing what has happened, that there's someone showed up at the graveyard, right, with such power and compassion that suffering has to fall on its knees and obey this person. But he doesn't just show up with power and compassion. This person, he he was so loving that the first stop that he makes is to the most forgotten place to minister to the most forgotten people in that town. And some of you this morning, as we sit here this Christmas season, even as I've been talking about man, the struggles and the challenges and does God care? And you've had this sense that, man, I, th- I think God, I'm trying to be faithful and I'm trying to show up, but man, I'm not sure if God's really present. And you need to hear this morning, you need to hear this Christmas season that there's an everlasting father who showed up through his son, Jesus, to a forgotten place and a forgotten people to heal them, to deliver them, to restore them to relationship with him. This is who we celebrate at Christmas. And so I want you just to close your eyes. We're going to sing a song in a moment, just as we close. But man, there might be some places and spaces in your life where the reflex is, man, I don't know if God cares. I don't know if God sees me. I don't know if God understands what's going on in my world. I think he's just distant. And you're you're here this morning to hear me say and to hear God say through his word, through the life of Jesus, that no, 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 he's not forgotten you. In fact, he's leaning in, not just leaning in, he's moving toward you. It's like the story of the father whose son left the house and lives a crazy lifestyle, but ends up coming back and he sees his son at a, at a distance and he starts running toward him. Oh, that's what God's doing towards you right now. He's running toward you. 
not to discipline, not to beat you up, not to correct you, but to embrace you and to love you. And maybe this morning in this room, you've never had that kind of, you've never even seen God that way, that man, God would think about me that way, that God would move towards me, run towards me, love me. Yeah, that's who he is. He's an everlasting father. And God, God's so amazing because he, he doesn't intrude, but he does invite. And what he invites us to is this relationship with him. But it requires something of us. It requires us moving toward him, taking a step towards him. And maybe this morning, you've never seen God that way. You've never understood God that way. You've never felt this sense that, man, God actually is moving towards me. God loves me. God's a father that watches over me and cares for me deeply. Yeah, so much so that his son would die and take the penalty and punishment for your and my sin so that we could be forgiven. And this morning, I just want to give you the opportunity just to respond and say, I want that relationship. I want a relationship with that God right there. A God who runs towards me, a God who loves me, a God who cares for me deeply, a God who has not forgotten me. And if that's you this morning, man, you want to put faith in Jesus, you want to walk that out with him, man, I want to ask you to just slip your hand up to heaven just as a step, an action that's moving you towards Jesus. If that's you this morning, would you just lift your hand? Come on, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so Father, this morning, we thank you that Lord, for every single one of us in this room, that Lord Jesus, you're the one that moved toward us to set us free, to forgive us of our sin. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that there's new life as we respond to that invitation, that movement toward us, Lord, as we respond in moving towards you. We're, we respond by surrendering our life, Lord, by recognizing that Jesus, you're the one that came to take our sin, to forgive us of our sin, so that, Lord, we could enter into new life. Father, there's others this morning that, Lord Jesus, they're struggling with that perspective. Man, I'm not sure if God's that good. But Lord, whatever that is in their life right now, Lord, I just pray that, Lord, they would just offer that up to you, even as we sing this song, Lord Jesus, to close, Lord, that they would offer that area of their life, that struggle, that pain, that fear, that stress, that anxiety, that, Lord, they would give it to you. And Lord, as they give it to you, that, Lord, you will give them the peace, the joy, the affection, the care, and the love that, Lord Jesus, resides in your heart for them. In Jesus' name. Come on, can we stand together? And let's just sing this song as we close.